G'day guys and welcome back to another episode of the Montana Project. This week, episode 15. They say don't meet your heroes, but <laughs> we chased him down. We kept throwing him DMs out and luckily enough, he's an absolute legend and we managed to get um, a good friend of ours now, Cooper Chapman. Uh, he's traveled around the world as a pro surfer for many years. Uh, he's kicked off the Good Human Factory now, which he also runs the Good Humans podcast and a couple of other offshoots with the 28 Sober podcast and the 1% Good Club. Uh, we chatted about a lot of these throughout the, the episode, um, but yeah, just a fantastic guy. Um, so much to give and yeah, it really inspires me talking to him um, about what he's doing and, and just how his practices of gratitude and, and mindfulness can really change your, your day-to-day life. So yeah. Hope you guys enjoy the episode. Um, once again, jump on, whether you're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, give us a like and subscribe, and uh, yeah, let's get into it. podcast which is like he does like ultra marathons and stuff dude he's like i think his last race he dnf'd it but he like does 160 kilometers yeah. <laughs> like, he, he only dnf because his missus broke her foot yeah like when he was yeah, running yeah, it wasn't, oh, no. and he needed to go look after the kids and that but yeah it's pretty pretty wild like yeah how yeah. doing the marathon and stuff and then yeah imagine when you, got, when there, you got to the point where you finish and you're like there's no way i could fucking walk do that another three times yeah it's funny how he is talking as well. He's like, yeah. yeah that got... must all be nutrition. Oh, like, he's pretty sure. thick boy. Like, he wasn't, like, he wasn't, like, a runner's body That's what shape. I mean. It must be, like, 60% nutrition. I reckon it's, like, 80% brain. Just, like, <laughs> just, or just, yeah, just willing to, like, to sit through it. a lot of preparation, too. Probably. Yeah, yeah. Massive. Like, just the way he spoke about it, he's like, it was about, like, a 100K race, and he's like, got to 50Ks, and I was like, oh, yeah, 50 left. And I'm like, 50 yeah, left? Like, yeah. I couldn't even fathom running the 50. <laughs> I couldn't fathom running 10 metres after. <laughs> oh, I'm done. Running Running career's over. <laughs> did, you, still... did you prep much for the marathon? None. I signed up on the Friday and went for like a 5K run on the Friday because I was like, fuck, I better do a little bit. And then my legs were sore on Saturday from the 5K run. I was like, oh, fuck. And I just did it. Was it, was it like a, you'd always want to do it and you're like, you just like, oh, just wanted to get, on get one in. Off what was saying before, like Alex is, me and Alex are hyper competitive. Yeah. And I'd like, I kind of got into running a fair bit and then I was away and he just randomly signed up and like did the Sydney marathon. Oh, really? And he's like, oh, I got one up on you. And I was like, fuck, we're going to do the Goldie marathon. And he's like, fuck, if you do that, then I'll have to do another one to her head. And I was like, oh, and it's just like <laughs> kind of egging me a little bit. And I was like, you know what? Fuck it. Like, if I'm going to do it, I may as well just do it. Like, yeah. The anticipation's like worse than the actual thing. Yeah. Like once you start yeah. running your headphones in, it's like, fuck, it's four hours. It's watching yeah, a long movie. Just knuckle yeah. down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's just like, eh, it'll be over in a bit. It, like, it was to see I'll those. We talk about this in the pod. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's all right. I just kind of like, we start recording and just cruise through. Oh, yeah, just usually, because <laughs> we, we don't always eat beforehand. Um, sometimes it's easier. Yeah. Like, it's good to build a bit of rapport with the yeah, person yeah, and stuff course. as well, but sometimes it's. it's what I was saying before with Kent is that because he's got his own podcast and as well as yourself, like you just settled straight in. Yeah, Usually yeah. people like kind of sitting Taking here. Like, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But it's it's helpful in that regard. But um, does Alex surf? Yeah, 
yeah, he's a good surfer. Is he? So yeah. that even that's like super competitive or Yeah, it is funny, so like obviously because I'm a pro surfer, it makes it a bit different. Like, yeah, that's one thing that I do have a definite edge. But like, he charges big waves. Like, he charges big waves way harder than me. Like, really? Yeah. So like, he's got that over me. But high performance, like small wave surfing, like I definitely because that's how we kind of met. He was like, we used to do the junior sort of comps together. Yeah. But like, I'm like four years older, so he was kind of like a grom. Yeah. When I was sort of like at the top of my game, like in that sort of 19 to 21 year old, when he was like 15 to. 17 that was like me in my prime so he was kind of like looked up to me weren't really mates and we knew of each other but then once it got to like i think we would have been like kind of close mates since i was like 23 24 yeah like four years maybe four or five years maybe now and then yeah we just had a lot in like we just ran into each other a few times at things when we're getting a bit older and then we just started mixing because through my sister and fish i started to like go to some cool parties and stuff and like mm. he had these big profiles so he was like we just would like run into each other all the time we just became mates through that and then he was like doing a big paddle like for mental health stuff this was before i even like started the good human factory so it kind of turned into this like friendship and then it yeah, mm. just expanded from that we just had a lot of stuff in common it's funny how it works how you just meet people and then yeah there's end up being your best mate yeah i was just like yeah we're just like so similar in so many ways and like bounce off each other and yeah, just push each other in a good way. It's, like, nice having someone, like, we just push each other so hard, like, yeah. with, like, fitness, with, like, challenges, doing anything. And then, like, I'm just up for any... Because we have such similar interests as well, like, I can go out on a ski and drive the ski for him and he can do the same for me and then, like, we'll go and run a marathon together. Like, I'll, I, he's a real good ocean swimmer and he was like, come do this 5K swim tomorrow yeah. and i was like i could do a 5k ocean swim. so i signed up with it like he's like we don't have any other friends that have that sort of mindset and ability to just sort of it's like throw ourselves a bit spontaneous out big yeah. competitive so exactly that, yeah so it yeah. kind of works really well how'd the swim go yeah swim was fucked i was like because <laughs> so about like a month before I would have been getting into running a little bit because we listened to David. I like read David Goggins' book and then got him onto it and then he started running. And I signed up to like a 15K fun run. And looking back years ago, we were like, oh, gnarly, we're doing this 15K yeah. fun run. And he signed up like without really any training and he did that with me. And then a few months later, he was like, and we'd just come off like the gnarliest summer bender. We were like cooked, and it was like a week later, yeah, or two weeks later. And he was like, Oh, this is good. And he's a good ocean swimmer, like, he's grown up like swimming nippers and yeah, real good swimmer. Like, he was gonna do the 20k coolie swim recently, 20K. yeah, like, he paddled from like the spit to the um to Debar a few months back. Like, I sat with him on the ski, yeah, but he was gonna do the 20k swim, so he's like a good swimmer. But so he's like, Come do the 5k one tomorrow, and I was like, I mean, I'm a surfer, I feel really confident, like, very confident in the ocean, yeah. But I haven't swum since, like, probably high school when I did a swimming carnival and I had to swim, like, 100 metres. So, like, yeah. I haven't gone for, like, a swim with goggles on ever. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, 5K will be all right. And then the night before, we watched The Iron Cowboy. Have you watched that? No. Oh, no, my what's God. That? Yeah. No. There's a doco on Netflix. It's this guy in America that did 52 Ironmans, 52 days in consecutive in 52 states. Yeah, right. So he'd like work his way across the state and then like do like, yeah, the swim into like the logistics obviously would be nice. Yeah, 52 days consecutive. Oh, you know, yeah. man. Like t- 10 hours of racing, 52 days <laughs> in a row. Like, so I watched that. So while I'm swimming, I'm like, 
I'm not even doing a third of one of his days. <laughs> I can't complain about doing the 5K swim. Yeah. And then, yeah, it just ended up, the last, like, end of it was gnarly. I was, like, delirious. Like, my arms didn't want to lift over my body. And I was just, like, trying to, and you'd, like, look in. And it was from, like, do you guys know Manly much? Oh, vaguely, yeah. yeah. So there's, like, Shelly Beach which is like right out at the um, southern tip. There's like a little sh- cove thing and you swim from there the whole way along Manly Beach, but like a K out to sea, past the other end up to Freshwater Beach, the next beach around, like out past the thingo, do a loop and then swim back. So you're like way out to sea. And I thought there'd be like more water safety and stuff than there was, but there was a couple <laughs> clubbies out there on nipper boards that you'd yeah. see every now and then and there's just like your big cans and just like you just like pretty much follow the splashes in front of you but it was just, <laughs> just like grab an oh by the but then you all spread out and then by the end of it i was just like delirious i like i was so cooked it's not yeah but i mean did it same thing as your marathon it's one yeah. of those months like after you're like well it's done I yeah did it. yeah do you reckon you do another one no nah. <laughs> well, i mean yeah maybe i want to do an ironman one day i think that's like the next challenge mm. but i'll train for an ironman because that's yeah. what's the, that's 180 cycle swim and marathon to finish yeah that's that's wild eh? <laughs> <laughs> that, that, strapping your running shoes on after 180k bike oh. to run a marathon must be the biggest imagine mental... the lactic that you had oh. in your legs and stuff like you oh. take one step and want to collapse but after you run for 40k oh. like you just... finish a swim like first leg yeah, and you just, you're done. Like, think about how I felt after the swim. Yeah, then <laughs> ride for a bike for six hours and then run for four hours. I think it takes them like eleven out yeah. for the, even the elite guys. Yeah. They're like, yeah, that's crazy. Our episode that just dropped today actually was um, Brock. He's into his triathlons and stuff, and he's got a goal of doing like the full full distance one one time. And yeah, yeah to to see him a bit nervous about like, holy <laughs> shit. Okay. Yeah, it take a fair bit of training. I've done a try. Like yeah, try, try yeah. is like fun distance kind of. Yeah. Tries like easier than a marrow. Did you do like a sprint one? Or no, I did a full, full try yeah. down in Byron last year. Same thing, signed up with no, um, no, no training. <laughs> I'd never got on a um, race bike. And yeah. then the day before, I was like, fuck, I need to get a bike. And my friend Harry Bink, the motocross rider, he has a race bike. And I was like, can I borrow? He's like, yeah. Borrowed his shoes. are like a size too small. I went <laughs> over the day before and like, they're like clipping bike shoes and like rode around the block like 200 meters. And I was like, yep, sweet. Rocked up <laughs> the next day, put it in the rack. And then like, it was kind of sick though, the swim was, because it was at Byron, there was like a big sand bank, and me and Alex being like ocean lovers, everyone like jumped into this hole and started swimming, and me and Alex just ran like 10 metres up the beach and ran like 200, like 300 metres. Oh, really? So like we came in from the swim before everyone, like all of the like people oh, like the good races, we like cooked them, and then like everyone just smoked us on the bike, <laughs> and then we got to like the run, and like... But it's all right. It's like an hour bike ride and then like a 10K run to finish. Yeah. I find it funny. Like we've found out a lot on this podcast that no one prepares for a lot of these things. <laughs> I reckon every majority of the guests we've had on it are like, no, nah, I just signed up and then yeah. went for a run. <laughs> yeah. It just shows that the mind is so much more powerful than what we Oh, 100%. Think. Yeah. Especially like, yeah, with your um, effort the other week, just being like, oh, like I live yeah, near the track. Like I'm just going to have a go at it and... Like it was as simple as that, and yeah. you got through it. And yeah, you... I mean, I'm still here. Kinda. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my hips are still sore. It's a couple of weeks ago now, but it's all good. Yeah, all good. Um, one of the things I was thinking about before, and there's, it's been such an exciting, I guess, episode. I've been so keen to do for, uh, do for. Sorry. Um, one of the things that come up 
was the fact that being on tour and that sort of thing, like, and having just your sisters, was it kind of like you built those brotherhoods, like the with those boys like Alex and stuff? Yeah, I've never really thought of it like that. Because when I was listening to you talk about it, I was like, man, that sounds like so similar to a relationship that brothers have and that sort of thing as well. And like, Yeah, I think I've been very lucky. Like before Alex, like all my surf friends, like pretty much from 16 onwards or like 15, I'd been traveling the world without family and your mates that you travel with become family. Like Wade Carmichael is like one of my best mates who's like been on the world tour for years. Um and just you just become like brothers with everyone because you kind of have to like you all have to stay together you all have to like look out for each other and it's kind of cool you can like come home and be with your family and then you've got like everyone spread across Australia and have their own like little local communities and then you become friends with them and then you're like then I'll like go to Avoca and like all of Wade's friends are like my good friends now and then I'll go mm-hmm. to like up here on the Gold Coast I'll like a few of the pro servers be mates with but then you meet their other friends and that's kind of how I met like all the mates who I'm best mates with now mm. was just through like networking through sport. But yeah, I think I've never really thought of it like that. I just feel like, and then the community I grew up with at Narrabeen down um, on Sydney's Northern beaches, very like strong culture surf beach, like very like localized, like macho guy. So mm. I'd been around enough like manly men to, have that connection i think and that sort of brotherhood and then yeah i get to go home and chill with my sisters and yeah. fam at home it's nice traveling at such a young age like going international must have been crazy like where, where was the first sort of big trip where you're like oh this is this is starting to turn into something more than just like doing comps on the weekend or whatever oh i mean like how, how did the journey start like i mean i guess i started surfing when i was like seven or eight like with my dad just pushing me into waves because he like surfed every day and did like his like local board riders comps and stuff and would always go down and watch him and then yeah from like seven or eight got on a board and then by like nine and ten i'd picked it up pretty quickly and had like quite a bit of early talent like Mm -hmm. i played like competitive rugby i was one of those kids that kind of picked stuff up pretty quickly and yeah i just fell in love with surfing and from like i got sponsored at like 10 i think by this brand called planet x and then they it was funny they actually my dad became mates with the guy and the guy was like a bit of a businessman and he bought like a bit of land in the Mentawai Islands, which is like mm. over in Indo. And my dad's like a draftsman, like draws air conditioning designs into places, but also can like architect a bit. Yeah. So he was like, if we bring you and Cooper over for a trip to the Mentawai's, can you like draw up a... So he actually drew the um, resort at HT's. Like the oh, really? Canada, yeah. Huh. So I went over there when I was like 10. So I had like a pretty early intro into like traveling and surfing a little bit. Yeah. But then I guess it kind of took off. Like I did all the junior comps. I got sponsored by Ripco when I was like 11, I think. And then the like the real kickoff was when I like was 14, I won an Australian title in the 16s at Margaret River and like pretty solid, like good surf, hmm. which put me on the map a little bit. And then when you're a kid, the kind of the pinnacle is this thing called the ISA World Junior Games. And it, back when I was there, it was like even bigger than it is now. It's kind of lost a bit of prestige. But back then it was like the top four under 16 and the top four under 18 surfers for men and women would go to the World Games. I think it was only two women. So it's like a team of 10 junior surfers. So that was like the pinnacle. And the first year, if you win the Australian title, you get an automatic spot in the team. So I got like, and I was quite young. Normally like the young age doesn't, go they take the older sort of two yeah because it's all like you've got sort of two years in each division they usually take the older but because i won in the younger division i got an automatic spot i think where my first one was in ecuador 
So I had world champs in Ecuador when I was like 15. So that was yeah, like right. a really cool experience um, getting to do that. And then that sort of like started me off. And then I actually got to all four years that I could qualify. I did qualify. So I went to like Ecuador. I think the second year was in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Third year was in Panama or Peru. Third year, third year was in Peru. And then the fourth year was in Panama. <laughs> so I got to like do all these crazy trips. But then by the time I was like 15, 16, I was like, starting to travel quite a bit i just changed to hurley as a sponsor after i won the um the aussie title and then got like invited on a few like cool trips like indo by myself with like a bunch of like yade nickel and like rizal tung jung and like going out into like the forest in indo and stuff like from when i was 15 so yeah i just had all these crazy experiences from a pretty young age so what's the go with like school tying into that because i know you're when you were talking to maddie about um being like snowboarder and that sort of thing he was kind of just having to do distance education mm. what what were you like when were you fitting in that sort of stuff i was pretty good with school like i i enjoyed school and i found it not easy but like i feel like i, I don't know i was one of those people that could kind of like bullshit their way through like exam, <laughs> you know what it's like in those english exams you just throw the question back at them and they give you a good mark sometimes like <laughs> yeah. you know what i mean you just spin it but i mean I was away quite a bit, but my school was quite supportive. I went to a school called Narrabeen Sports High. So anytime I was actually absent rep surfing, I was technically representing the school because it looked good for the school that they've got mm. like an Australian mm-hmm. champion and stuff. So I wouldn't actually get absentee written down. <clears throat> I think in year 12, I would have missed about eight or nine weeks and I got written down for like two days absent. I was like the least absent student <laughs> or something. Yeah. So I was very supported by the school. Like they'll give me some work to take away. And then when I came back, I was I knew I wasn't getting an ATA. I'd started getting paid to surf when I was in like year 11, like yeah. I think like 10 or 15 grand. But I knew that the sort of trajectory was to, um, yeah, to start, go straight into surfing. I wasn't really too focused on uni. How's that set you up? Like where's your mind go to as a... 16 7 year old kid and you're starting to get paid for something you just love like what's your thoughts there i mean it's, it's pretty epic it's yeah. funny it's in like year 11 and 12 i used to be like because no one has money in year 11 no that's like that's like bank but like yeah, was, yeah. i might have, i can't remember i'm gonna be getting like eight grand or something yeah um and then but then like prize money from like i won a pro junior right like a week after i got my p's i won a comp and i won like eight grand i was like sweet and just bought a car straight <laughs> yeah. like, sick but i remember i like used to just I mean, not even have that much money, but at that age it was. So every weekend I'd give, I'd go get like 150 bucks cash out and give it to my one mate who had an older brother who <laughs> he had his fake ID and you'd go and get two cases of Coronas every weekend. And we had this one mate's place and we'd all get the two cases that I'd shout every night and then we'd yeah. just all party at this, or like just like send it all weekend at my one mate's place. We lived right across the road from the beach in this little shack. Yeah. It was, um yeah, those years were so fun, like looking back. But it was cool just to be able to like, I don't know. I've never really looked at money as much more than like a tool to have fun. I need to get way better with money. But <laughs> back then it was kind of just like, sick, this is epic. Like if I can get all my mates stoked and let them experience a fun weekend because of me, because I'm the one who's lucky enough to be getting paid to surf, it was epic. Did it yeah. affect you mentally at all from a young age? Like I felt you can go either like love it and being in the spotlight or being like away from mates at home. I mean... Like we were saying before, I had like my friends that I'd compete with were like mm. my family as well. And then I had my home friends and same thing when my friends who were my surf mates would come to town in Narrabeen, they were good mates with mm. them. But like I had all these different groups, like I had like my Narrabeen beach surf group of like surfers. And then I had like 
my school friends and I actually didn't hang out with any of my school friends after school because none of them surf. Mm. And then actually the group of guys that I was talking about that I'd hang out with went to another school, but one of them was like my surf mate. So I'd hang out with all their mates. Mm. So I had all these like different touch points. So I like, I don't know. I never, that's why like I'm real good friends with like Alex and stuff now. Cause I never really like, I haven't spoken to anyone from school for years. Yeah. Still like, I'll like see him around and have a good chat to him and like would still call him mates. But I just never really fully gelled with mates at school because I was like, the chances of you being best friends and like connected with someone that just happens to be there, like in my mind, because I'd seen so much of the world and met so many people. I'm mm. like, I just met so many amazing people that I was like, hey, I can kind of just choose whoever I want to be good friends with and just connected with so many people that did have quite similar lifestyles to me. And then as I continued to get older, I'm realizing that you can really sort of shape the people around you if you be conscious of it mm. and traveling at such a young age as well like so many people when they first finish school or whatever that's when they really go like find mm. themselves and or just just explore the world and, and just how big it is as well and like oh, i haven't actually been over to too many countries like japan and that sort of thing but even just going over there it, a few things it makes you realize how lucky we are here for one mm. and secondly it's just like how kind of like small your problems are and stuff as well like you just you get so caught up in work or whatever it is back at home, then you like realize like we're just this tiny little dot on the map. Yeah, but you realize like going to like I've been so lucky to spend like like I said before like Peru, Ecuador, all these like third world sort of countries. But a lot of people are happy, and it's just a concept I've been looking at a lot lately. This idea that like capitalism is what's creating depression. Like mm. if these people can afford to put food on their table, put shelter over their head, they're happy. They don't work themselves to try and buy something to impress people they don't even like. Mm. Like, capitalism is like this massive myth of we've got the freedom and the health, but it's like, but the happiness is drifting away because we're all working till we, you know what I mean? Like working our whole life, 80% of our life to take 20% of our life as a holiday, which you need just to recharge to get back to work. So it's like, you realize how much is out there. And I think that's why I've, being so passionate about for one sharing my experiences with like the work I do and sharing different ways to think and different ways to live and like a big one for me was just like gratitude after getting to do what I did and then having to like work a few years on the tools and then look back at what I had I think sometimes can give you a lot of perspective like seeing how much is out there and yeah I call it the university of life I feel like although I didn't go to university the network I've built the experiences I've had had have like led me to learn so much more than i feel like i would have learned if i went to university or anything anyway yeah Mm. now you touched on obviously um, getting on the tools and that sort of thing as well prior to what you're doing currently what's it like transferring from like that sort of peak level of um being an athlete and then like i guess transferring because you you've spoken a lot about it as well um like not being not judging yourself on your own performance and like creating your own value through that. Mm. Well, it wasn't like that all the time. So like my kind of journey goes like with my mental health sort of relating to all of this was like throughout my late teens and early twenties, I was quite successful. So I used to base my self-worth on how well I did in my surf comp. So at that time I'm like feeling pretty good pretty often or like at least hitting these sort of peaks pretty often. And then I got to my early twenties and was still ranked like in the top hundred surfers in the world for like from, the age of 20 to 26 really and but I wasn't winning events so I started to really kind of struggle and then I lost my like major sponsor Hurley when I was 23 
And that was like a big one from going like getting paid $50,000 a year to getting paid nothing and going, huh, what am I going to do here? So straight away I went into victim mentality like, oh, like this is shit, like screw it, I'm going to quit. I like go get a job, like nobody believes in me, like why me? And then I had a bit of a mindset shift after doing like six months of working at a surf school to fund my next comps and then I was like, oh, you know what, maybe I can keep doing the comps and I was like, I need to make the money to get to the next event. So then... I did like six months of landscaping work, which was just like, I was doing like 50, 60 hour weeks just to afford to pay for the flight to get to the next event. Mm. And instead of, for probably the landscaping six months, it was quite victim still, like, oh, far out, I have to do this while the other guys at the comp have got um, sponsors that like, there's a lot of guys that I'd call myself better surfer than, and I'm sure they would too, but they were getting paid good money, but I wasn't, but that's just the way the industry works. Um, so I had that mentality for quite some time and then I kind of went into building work and enjoyed it quite a lot, the building stuff. But what I realized was I was saving money and then going to do these surf trips and instead of being like, oh, look at the other surfers, I was looking back at my tradie mates at home going, these guys are working the whole time that I'm away, surfing, having a hell time. And it's just it was just a big perspective, perspective change and that's when I started to be like, oh, although I'm not getting paid to surf, I'm still traveling the world, I'm still chasing my dream. And I've got it far better than still almost everyone, but I just needed that little perspective change. And that was kind of, I think it just came back to gratitude. It like changed my life. That's why I'm so passionate about it because it made me realize that no matter what situation we're in, there's going to be people that have it worse and there's going to be people that have it better. So it's just a way that you shape your situation and try and turn it into that like hero mentality rather than victim. And like no matter what situation you're in, it's a way that you move forward. Like anything that's happened has happened. It's how you react and move forward that's going to sort of change and shape your life. Did you ever have like a mentor in the surfing industry that would like help you with that? Not directly. I had a sports psychologist that definitely like kind of led me towards this direction of like trying to live by your values rather than your achievements, which mm. definitely helped quite a bit. And I learned a lot from him. But I think I just, because I'd had some family history with mental illness, like I lost an uncle when I was quite young and I watched my dad suffer a bit. I kind of just took a bit of responsibility myself and started to read self-development books and started to realize that there's so many different ways to think and there's so many great experts out there. And as long as we're continually evolving, life's going to be all right. As long as you're always looking for something to improve, it kind of turns like gamifies life almost. And like, I have my crazy downs as well as my ups. But for me, it's about trying to like keep like your baseline and always be bringing that up. Like there's this thing called like hedonic adaptation if you guys have heard of it like they have like stories of guys winning the lottery and they got to like this happiness peak but they always come back down mm. to this sort of like baseline and then they have people who've like lost a limb or something and like have like the worst situation ever happened they come all the way down but they always come back to this baseline so the kind of mindset that i feel that getting into self-development is is trying to raise that baseline so your sort of like baseline happiness is slowly always coming up if you're always trying to find new things that works for mm. you because and like the way that the world's changing so quickly now we need to continue to change with it do you mm. think like being in touch with your emotions and that sort of thing as well sort of stops that wave from going further away from your baseline like not it's it's a weird one to explain because like not everyone wants to be happy obviously mm. but getting too happy like you're saying is you're going to eventually come back down it's going to make it feel mm. like even if you're still above your baseline because you've come off this big high yeah. do you think that like in time with all these books and stuff that you've read is like 
kind of just letting yourself just stay around that baseline. Yeah, I think so. It's like not trying to get, and you hear it a bit with sport, like not trying to get too excited over wins and not trying to get too bummed over downs because like you don't want to be riding this like crazy rocky roller coaster in life. You want to just sort of like, yeah, be consistently in a good mindset and just sort of expect that there's going to be down days and accept that. Like it's that's fine. And once you can sort of have that awareness around it, then I feel like you can try and like work your way against it and find solutions for you because there is so many incredible skills that we can implement into our life like meditation and mindfulness and gratitude and empathy and just like learning all these soft skills that by doing them daily it brings that baseline up so yeah mm. do you have any recommendations in regards to like books that you have read and really oh. enjoyed <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just to <laughs> name a few um almost recent if that narrows it down yeah i mean the book that i like highly recommend everyone read to do with even if you've got nothing wrong with your mental health and you think you're in a great spot it's this book called lost connections by johan hari it's incredible it changed for someone who's like already was quite deep into the mental health industry and mental health advocate i read that and it changed a lot of my mind about a few things just around um it, i think the taglines why you're depressed and how to find hope and it kind of just goes through all the different reasons why we're depressed and kind of goes if you go to a doctor most of the time here in Australia, they'll just say, here, take this pill and it'll make you feel better. But it goes through like kind of all the <clears throat> different reasons why you kind of, from like relationships to this, to that, that we have to get in order and like our sleep, our exercise. And it goes through all these different studies with like where pharmaceutical, like any depressants came from and like that quite often they barely, even like almost always they barely beat the placebo, which still means they do work. But it's this idea that our mind's so powerful like that's why placebos work because our mind can like overcome mm. stuff if we just think it through like if you think it it is mm. so like yeah johan hari um lost connections highly recommend um oh what else um can't hurt me david goggins book's incredible i'm sure both of you guys yeah, yeah. it's like you can recommend that to the hill that's just a good one and then another really good one is this was like one of the first ones i read it was grit by angela duckworth yeah have you read that? I've actually got it sitting on my bed. I've been trying yeah. to finish another book. And, read that because yeah. that was a good one for me to understand. I think it gives hope to people who think they're not good enough because it kind of goes through a lot of the data and science to show that hard work and dedication outweighs talent, like yep. far often, far more like than often. I don't know where I'm going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I got it. Yeah. yeah, very often. Yeah. So that was like a good one for me to realize. Well, if I want something to happen, like as long if I work hard. I'm going to be able to catch up to anyone. And that's where like with my work now, I feel like I'm starting to really dig into consistency mm. and like consistency is going to beat talent like 10 out of 10 times. Yeah. 100%. So that's, yeah, they're a couple pretty good ones. Was any of this stuff available to you when you are like touring around and surfing? Because it is somewhat an individual sport and well, like obviously when you're competing it is, but I know when we were speaking the other day and you were saying how like, it was so competitive but now it's starting to come back where all the Aussies are sort of looking after each other like what was it like coming up or was it kind of like pretty cut cutthroat yeah it's interesting I kind of came through like I'd say like just after the sort of heydays of like a lot of money in the industry so a lot of the top guys were paying a coach to travel with them or like friends to travel with them and that sort of back in the day it used to be all the athletes would travel together because you'd need to, to be able to afford it and then it went to this little heyday where everyone was making so much money they were like bringing coaches and stuff which made the athletes kind of disconnect a little bit and like it didn't for me because i was still like not making enough that i was in that top top level 
So I still had a small group like me, Wade Carmichael, um, Dion Atkinson and Sully Bailey. And we'd have different people every now and then. We'd chime in. We'd all travel together. So we'd support each other, but not like all of the Aussies. Whereas now it's like everyone's working together. And it's something that I think it's come with a lot of maturity for me. Like if you asked me back when I was like 20, like when I'd lose in a comp, like I'd almost like underlyingly want the boys to lose just so no, no one did better than me. Whereas now I've kind of understood it's like, why would I only want to be happy when I win? What if I'm happy when all of my mates do well? Or what if I'm happy when I watch any good surfing? It's like, how many chances do I want to have to be happy? One or unlimited? So it's just the way you shape your mind. I don't I like, I learned so much of my stuff just through reading and trialing, erroring, and just like trying to change, just being open minded is the main thing, just realizing, huh. Like, you're not your self-beliefs. Like, you can always change. Like, the reason you think one way is because you've seen or heard or subconsciously done something. We can change that. And having that open-mindedness, I think, is, like, one of my biggest strengths. Yeah. And seeing your journey, like, when you're reflecting on yourself, how did you go from where you were at that point until, I guess, starting, like, the Good Human Factory and stuff? Or how did how did that kick off? Oh, I, I think throughout my surf career, I've always wanted more not more but like wanted something that's more than like an individual sport for one but then i think as well i've always been very aware of what's going to come after sport like sport like professional sport really it's like you're 20 to 30 that's your kind of age bracket and there's a lot more life to live so i've always been very conscious of finding something else i had no idea i was going to be a mental health like speaker and advocate and whatnot um but yeah so i'd done like the trade and stuff and then my younger sister like came home from school one day and was sitting around the dinner table and she said like one of her friends had taken his life and she actually wasn't that rattled about it, it wasn't like a close friend it was just a kid in a year but still like terrible to hear and I was just like fuck that sucks like here I am like 24 year old kid from the northern beaches traveling the world getting paid to surf like not a worry in the world as privileged as it comes obviously I've worked hard but still very privileged and then two weeks later she comes home and said another friend had taken his life and I was just like far out like what can I, I basically just said like, what can I do about this? And I decided to act on it. And I was, I'd run a few surf camps with like kids just to make a bit of money. And one of the things is when I'd kind of started to get into meditation just through my own curiosity um, and like visualization stuff. So when I ran the camp with these kids, one of the drills I did was a visualization thing where we all got them to lie on their back and I talked them through, all right, let's visualize the one maneuver you've really been wanting to nail. And I sat there and just talked them through breathing for five minutes and talked them through visualizing that maneuver and talking them through it. And after the camp where we did surfing, we did um, skateboarding, we did a gym session, all this stuff, majority of the parents said to me, the kids all said their favorite thing was a visualization task. I didn't think much of it at the time, but then after my sister said the few friends had taken their life, my dad was like, oh, you should try and like go and speak to kids at schools. I've seen how like hard you've worked on your mental health. Obviously, we've got the family history and I've seen you like read a lot of books and have this curiosity around improvement. Maybe you should go and talk at schools. So then I went and spoke to her. I was quite close with one of my um, teachers, like in year 11 and 12. He was like a careers advisor, but he was like a young guy that took my TAFE course. I did like a sport and rec TAFE course. And he was a legend. And I just said to him, I was like, hey, can we catch up for a beer? And I want to like talk to you about something. So we like went out a chat and I was like, I want to come and do some workshops with the kids. Like told him what happened. I was like, I want to like put together just a little presentation with what I've learned along my journey and maybe it'll inspire some kids to... Um, yeah, make some positive changes because I know if I was at school, if a 25-year-old pro surfer came in to chat to me about mental health, I might listen compared to the guy from Lifeline that comes in in a wheelchair and said he tried to take his life. Like, for me as a kid, that was just fearful and kind of mm-hmm. like, mm. 
I just never got the education that I'd taught myself. So I was like, yeah. maybe I can inspire some kids with that. And that was the good human factor was born. What yeah. goes through the workshops? Is it just presentation or do you do like, um, like as you said, the visualization? Yeah. I mean, it's evolved a lot from those first yeah. times. Like I tell you, looking back, I thought I was like ready to charge money and all this stuff. <laughs> and I was just like, I look back at my first one and it was so bad. Yeah. PowerPoint, clunky, <laughs> terrible. Um, but good reports and like built some skills and like, yeah, like you, public speaking is quite scary for a lot of people. Like it's more fear than death. Um, but for me, I always felt pretty comfortable because I was sharing my story and sharing things that I do and mean a lot to me. So it's not that hard when it's stuff that you know. Mm. So I started and um, yeah, built like a bit of a program and then I was still working full time as a tradie at this stage. So I'm like working 50 hours a week trying to like, for save to go to surf comps and then like doing this building skills on the side doing these school things and it's very hard to build a reputation to like i thought at the start i was like oh everyone's gonna want me like pro surfer come and chat the kids about mental health easy boy was i wrong like it's <laughs> so hard to build a reputation and credibility to be able to go into schools and whatnot mm. um but yeah because i had i was naive enough that i put myself head first mm. into it um and yeah developed the skills and then now my workshop is like an hour workshop and it kind of yeah, just tells my story really how, like I've said on this podcast, I used to base my self-worth on my achievements, which I think a lot of people can relate to. It doesn't matter if you're a kid or an adult. Like I do the same workshop for year seven that I do for a corporate group now. And it, the message is just the same. It's like mm. try and base your life around living with values and then you can raise that baseline. So the five values I talk about, um, uh, taking responsibility is the first one. Like unless you're willing to do some work, nothing's going to change. No one can do it for you. You have to take responsibility just like I did with the reading and finding what works for me. Um, and then I talk about gratitude, how it's basically how I've spoken in this podcast, like how just by shifting our mindset and focusing on what we do have rather than what we don't have is just a way more positive way to live. Like you can always have more. So it's important to yeah realize that. So that's my second one. And then I talk about empathy and how important it is to realize that we're all different and how important it is to realize that we're on a completely different journey and we can learn from other people. And the hardest situation in your life might be something small in yours because you've had 50 situations harder, but for him, that's mm. the hardest thing he's ever gone through. So like we all have different experiences and once you can learn empathy, you can realize that. And I feel like not enough people get communicated that and like I'm always trying to get better with empathy. Um, and then I talk about mindfulness and meditation and the just importance of being present and it's very hard to uncover how you're really feeling unless you can be present on a daily basis and not enough of us are. Like there's most people, if they start lying there in bed and they have thoughts, they have to put a rain sound on or they have to put mm. a movie on to fall asleep. Like majority of people are scared to death address of their it. thoughts. Mm. So we need to address this and try and like become and have a good relationship with our mind because we're going to be with it our whole life. So and one of the best ways to build that relationship I've found is through meditation. And it takes time and practice. But if I told you, hey, I need you to go get a six pack, if you go and do 10 sit ups, you're not going to get a six pack. It's like most people try meditation for 10 minutes and go, I couldn't slow my mind down. Mm. It's time. You have to do this every day for months and months. And then that mind starts to slow down. And then those destructive and negative thoughts start to dissipate, or you can at least catch them and um, disassociate with them. And then the last thing I talk about is kindness because kindness is just something that i knew like it, we know it makes you feel good when you're kind to people but i've done a few courses on like the science of well-being and stuff and there's so much data that shows like kinder people are happier people and when we can actually realize that and go out of our way and 
not do acts of service because we want to get something in return, but do acts of service because we know it makes us feel good. It's like this hack that kindness and gratitude are changing the chemistry in our brain and that kindness and um, gratitude release serotonin and oxytocin in our brain, which make us happy. So if we can purposefully try and be kinder, whether it be opening a door for someone or your coffee shop, somebody serves you a coffee and just genuinely being like, oh, thank you so much. I hope you have a really good day. Like just words can make a massive difference in somebody else's day and it should make you feel good. So it's like this little circle thing where it's like, it makes them feel good because you said something nice and they smile at you and then you look back at you and it makes you feel good. And it's like, when we can be conscious about that, it's just such a powerful thing. So yeah, they're the kind of five topics that I touch on as uh, our workshop goes through. Trying to engage like teenagers and stuff, I'm assuming can be tricky at times. Like what, what are some strategies you use as well? Because meditation or just the word in general can have that bit of like connotation, yeah. woo-woo sort of stuff. Like do you use like mindfulness or do you... Yeah, like how do you, how do you address that to people? So I say mindfulness slash meditation and kind of explain what meditation is and how how epic it is. And I'm like, I'm not going to make you do a ten minute meditation right now. It's not going to work. Mm. But I do a mindfulness skill where I go, being mindful is just being present in this moment right now. Like life is quite literally just a continuous present moment. Yet so many of us are living in the past, or so many of us are um, living in the future in our minds. So it's about being present. So I take them through a skill where I go around. For 30 seconds, let's look around the room and just focus on what we can see. I don't want you to listen, think about what you can hear or anything. Just think about what you can see, the colors, the shapes, the sizes. We'll focus in on our eyes and then I'll go, everyone close their eyes and just focus on only what you can hear right now. And then I'll talk and raise my voice and lower and then I'll say, let's listen to what we can hear outside. And then I'll go, all right, let's keep our eyes closed and focus on just what we can touch. Focus on that feeling of your belly rising and falling. Focus on that feeling of your clothes on your skin. And after a minute, people stop thinking about what's going through their mind. They're only thinking about what I'm talking about. And what you can see, hear, and feel is only the present moment. Mm -hmm. So it connects them to that present moment. And that's just a mindfulness skill. And it's so simple, but people don't know that. And it's a skill that I try and use every day and try and encourage people to. If you're ever feeling a bit like anxious or stressed or just like lack of focus or, yeah, just not present, it's such an easy one to do. Like sit there, look around for 10 seconds. What can I see? Close your eyes. All right, what can I hear right now? Keep your eyes closed. What can I feel? And it quite literally brings you to that present moment. Yeah, I found like this is probably jump a little bit ahead, but each morning you send out meditations in um, 1% Good Club. But I've never really dove too far into like having someone talk me through a meditation. Like I much prefer doing like body training, like just laying in bed and just mm. like kind of tracking around my body and that sort yeah. of thing. Cause, but I guess having someone talk to you and, and explain to you what you should be doing must be super beneficial like yeah. for someone that hasn't done it before as well. For sure. And that's why with, with the 1% club, I'd send a fresh one every day. Like I don't even do those meditations. Like I do um, my friends, Chris and Rochelle have like a Mindspo meditation school yeah. and they just do like a mantra meditation. So now I'll just sit there for 20 minutes and, just have like a like a noise basically going and i'll just sit there and try and in my mind just repeat like my mantra as i breathe in and breathe out and just witness my thoughts and try and like make them still whereas i think a good entry level is to do guided meditations that way you can just think about what the person's saying and like visualize that but yeah for me now i've got to the point where i just like to try and just sit with my thoughts and see how well i can kind of let them dissipate but there's just levels to it. It's like you get better at it and sometimes I do do the guided ones because I want to like listen and be inspired by what they're saying but then sometimes 
I'll just go sit on the beach and like on a Thursday morning, actually, you guys should come. I do just right out in front here. There's this like group of six or seven girls and they're, I'm just friends with one of them. And she's like, Oh, come down. And you literally walk down and the girls, the two times I've been have already been sitting down there. Um, nobody says a word to each other. There's no music or anything. We just sit there for 30 minutes. We did the other day with just the sun rising. No one said a word to each other with their eyes closed and just sat there and meditated. And, mm-hmm. After 30 minutes, you kind of, everyone looked around and we have a chat. It was like, no words are said before. It's like kind of a nice thing. It's a really cool experience, like where there's no time limit either. Yeah. So it's like, you just have to just be. It's really nice. So Yeah, I think there's there's a joy to being present in stuff. Like we're so fortunate where we are. And like to go down there, I, one of my favorite things, and like I think a question I asked Corey and then a couple of other friends recently is like, if you had 10 million bucks, like what would you, what would your perfect day look like? And then I started working it out for myself. I'm like, oh, I'd like to take the dog for a walk and then watch the sun come up and stuff. And like, none of that really cost any money. And mm. just to be able to like, yeah, sit there and watch the sun, which is so weird. Cause like, I don't know, it's such a massive thing for so many people, but it's just kind of watching the sun come up each yeah. morning and stuff. But yeah, it's so many of the best things in life are free. Like all the things I talk about, meditation, gratitude, these things literally make you happy and they're free and that's why we don't get marketed them because no one's making money out of them yeah. so it's like like i said before capitalism is creating depression like the more we get sold when you get this then you'll be happy it's quite literally the best psychologists in the world are working for corporations to build marketing plans to trick people into buying their stuff so when you get this then you'll be happy it's like no we've already got enough to be happy like look at people in india that are got nothing that are happy it's mm. like we don't need stuff to be happy. We just need to be content with who we are and content with what's going on up here and content with what's going on in our heart. And to do that, you just have to, yeah, build strong values and build strong connections with people around you. Mm, 100%. One of the things we obviously just touched on before is 1% Good Club. Now, it was hard to actually narrow things down because you're out there hustling with so many, <laughs> so many clubs. I know, we've gone very surf specific. I'm like, yeah. we're not even doing any good human factors. <laughs> yeah, no, good. No, I normally so, talk about that. So it's yeah, um, I obviously to plug any of your stuff as well if anyone wanted to go check it out obviously Instagram page yeah just at Cooper Chapman's um, my Instagram at the Good Human Factories the mental health organisation I run um, yeah I guess that's the yeah. main ones the goodhumanfactory.com is the website if you want to check out the workshops I run the merch the 1% club um, for anyone listening every morning I send a guided 10 minute meditation and every night I start a gratitude um, little chain which I just realized I'm late tonight <laughs> but um yeah it's crazy there's like over 900 members now like I'll have to show you because you're only in like one group everyone else just sees their little group yeah. but I've got like 27 groups so I like literally read like two and a half thousand gratitude really? every week like it's crazy man like I, I have to pinch myself the community like for one how lucky lucky I am that I've created something but I'm just stoked that it's free too it's mm. like because how did it come about like when did you start it well, just over a year ago, obviously, it's like I'm day 378 in a row today. Um, I was just doing a meditation myself, trying to like get my mind to clear. And I was lying there as we all do, and I couldn't clear it. And I just thought to myself, I was like, far out. I need to be doing this every day. Like I preach it. I talk about it in my workshops. And I knew I wasn't doing it every day. Mm-hmm. And I was like, surely I can do it every day. And then I was like, I'm like, how can I turn it into like something fun? And I was like, surely like we can dedicate 1% of our day to our mental health. So I literally stopped it midway through a meditation. <laughs> I went, screw it. How long is one minute? I mean, 1% of a day. I've worked out it's 14 minutes. And I was like, surely we can give 1% of our day to our mental health. 
And then I was like, well, 10 minute meditation is a nice clean number in the morning. And then hey, if you focus for about four minutes on gratitude at night, there's 1% of your day that you've dedicated to your mental health. Mm. And that was where it was born. I was like, I needed the accountability myself. The same as the 28 and sober thing. I was like, if I'm going to stay accountable, I need to like say it out loud to the world on social media. And then hopefully I can inspire people to come on the journey with me because that'll keep me accountable that I have to do it for everyone else as well. Mm. And now like, I don't think I've missed a day in like, a year and a half like a year now purely because i know i've got 900 people that it's funny if i don't send my gratitude i reckon it drops by about 70 percent which Mm. is crazy so it's like wild to think not the expectation that people have on me but like the expectation i put on myself now but it's just it's amazing for me to know that that many people are changing like because i know what gratitude's done for my life and like you, even know from your group, just like the amount of feedback and positivity you see every yeah. single day. Shout out, just... shout out to Group Nine. We we're holding yeah, it down for yeah. yeah. We we're holding it down. Group <laughs> Group Nine was on fire. Like yeah. your group, I think was... we had like five weeks in a row. Yeah, like... you guys were killing it. it yeah. But it, it's fine. Like people go up and down. But the mm. thing is, like, I used to almost like get bummed when the numbers went down. But then what I'm realizing is so many people are writing into the group like, oh, I haven't done my gratitude in ages, but it's a practice that I do every day now because of this group. And I still come in and read other people's like, I drop the sort of ego of like, oh no, like good of week in, week out, better than numbers. I'm like, no, I just like I'm helping people develop a skill that they might not write in the group, but I can guarantee just by reading other people's it's on the top of their mind. And like mm. so many people like send messages. Like you see in the 1% club all the time, people writing in their gratitude that they're grateful for the reminder every day and they're grateful for the meditation it's like for mm. me it's so powerful and it's just trying to like build a cool community because i feel yeah. like it's such a yeah it, it's, it helps when you've got people around you doing it too like sometimes yeah. people can think it's like cheesy and lame to do gratitude and then people like think it's weird to do meditation but when you've like well i know i'm part of a group of 900 people doing <laughs> this i'm a part of 26 people directly that i'm in my group that i have supporting me and like you see people say they've had a bad day and everyone gets around them like it's, mm. it's pretty special and no one knows anyone like it's crazy do you find people like is it hard for people to come up with different gratitudes each day rather than you know just having the default i know from I've my personal this, experience I like, like there i thought so and then you just got to get specific even mm. if it's weird like i can't remember i posted something really like oh peanut butter and yeah. and like um raspberry jam you know they like rediscovered yeah. that i was like I was it made me happy at that point <laughs> of the day and then like yeah it, it's kind of like getting past it, at least in my own personal experience of like getting past oh no it's silly i shouldn't be grateful for mm. i'm like well if you're grateful did it like, yeah when, did it make you happy well that's what i realized like how much like i'm very lucky i live like a very active crazy life where like most days i have like two or three like kind of dope things that happen but i also like read other people's and go oh some like clean sheets grateful for mm. i say to people like you might have sneezed and it felt good like gratitude to turn it into a habit and into a value isn't about going i'm grateful for my friends my family and the ocean because then you can't do that every day mm. so when you get more specific and you actually reflect on your day and you look back and you go oh i'm grateful that i had a drink or like i'm grateful for dinner tonight it was delicious mm. or like oh i'm grateful for that conversation i had with old mate at the coffee shop today that was really nice like it's just trying to think back to your day and go oh that was kind of nice oh that was kind of nice and then write it down and then the next day and this is what people are saying they're like 
throughout my day I'm looking for things to be grateful for now so you're almost like manifesting and attracting good things because you're like oh what am I going to write tonight oh that was cool and you're like people are starting to pick up things during their day that they're grateful for yeah I know for me personally like I don't know whether I'm looking out for things or I'm just realizing like it just a mind it just changes your mindset mindset throughout the day because like lately I've had some challenging days at work and stuff but I was like this is these are tough things happening it's not making me have a shit day and i was like Mm. other than these few things that aren't a direct reflection of like my ability to do this job or whatever Mm. i've had a fantastic day like i've watched the sun come up had a coffee like i'm like i'm getting to go to work and make money and all this sort of stuff and it's Mm -hmm. just this constant thing and even on the days that like i haven't actually posted and i've tried to keep myself accountable to amy and be yeah. like before we go to bed i'll like i'll tell her or or she will ask me and that's even better because it's like have you have you listened to my recent episode with rochelle fox not yet oh, no. you so speaking of what you just said then so this is like one of my this blew my mind with gratitude like i'm the gratitude guy and i learned something last a few weeks <laughs> ago so what she said she's like my good friend who owns a meditation school and blah blah so what her and chris have been doing she's like we've been together for 11 years we've got a great relationship but Every single day, multiple times a day, I say, what are you grateful for times three? And he'll say one, two or three things. And she's like, what it's done though, even though we've got a great relationship, it's strengthened our relationship because stuff that I didn't even realize he was grateful for, like you might go, I'm grateful that I got to spend an hour playing FIFA today. And then tomorrow or like in a week when you want to play again and your chick might want to get angry at you for it, she might go, oh, that's something that he like really enjoys. He's mm-hmm. telling me he's grateful for that. So it strengthens relationships. And likewise, your partner might go, oh, I'm really grateful that I got to go and get my nails done today or I got my hair done or something. Instead of getting like, you know, it just develops a better understanding of your relationship with the person of what they're grateful for because it, yeah, it just sometimes it's so off your radar what they might be grateful for that you didn't even know that that's something that they really like. And then you can continue to like build on things that they mm-hmm. enjoy. So it's mm-hmm. a really like, and I'd never thought of it like that. And once you explained it to me like that, Rochelle, I was like, oh, it's, it, it makes so much sense. Like, why haven't I thought of that? And it, like, you know what I mean? It's mm. like, as much as gratitude might sound like, you know what I mean? People go, oh, it's like, no, it, it, when you think of it like that, it's like, it makes a lot of sense. If every night you say to your partner in bed, hey, what are you grateful for today? And they go, oh, I'm grateful for this, that, and that. It's like, all right, sweet. I know if something they're, like that comes up tomorrow, I can try. Yeah, and they're express, expressing something that's important. Yeah. It's kind of a simple communication tool as exactly. well. Like, at least like yeah you're getting someone to ask you about what you're grateful for rather than and it's something positive yeah yeah, yeah oh, exactly oh, today was shit i did this that, that. Well, what was the good things today mm. all right let's try and do more of that tomorrow so mm. you have a better day tomorrow rather than expand on the shit stuff and then that it gets attracted to you tomorrow yeah so how, how can people get involved because obviously yeah so i think it, group nine's yeah. full <laughs> yeah, sorry. Okay, i'm a podcaster we can talk forever yeah that's another thing if you want to listen to my podcast good humans yeah. um yeah good humans podcast heaps of cool episodes um but yeah, to get involved in the 1% club, literally just send at the Good Human Factory direct message um, saying, I want to join the club and I'll add you into a group. You get added to a group of random people and you can tell them what you're grateful for every day. Yeah. It's, it's cool. It's really special. So yeah, yeah, just send us a message and you get added in. It's free. Now, one of the other ones you touched on was 28 and sober. Yeah. Currently going through <laughs> it. We actually hooked yeah. us up with the Yes <laughs> yeah, You Cans. <laughs> having a couple of um, alcohol-free GNTs. What am I having? Yeah. Davidson Plum. Mm. Um, yeah, how'd that journey start? And obviously got a little offshoot of another podcast for you. Yeah, yeah, You're yeah. busy. <laughs> yeah, I'm busy. I do three podcasts a week now. One for the 1% Club. I read out some gratitudes and get to bring some light to the incredible people who are, yeah, giving that 1% of their day. That's my Wednesday episode. And then 
I had um a lady Nicole Vignola on my guest episode on I think it was guest episode forty four and she's a neuroscientist from over in England and we just spoke about the effects of all different things on the brain and we spoke about alcohol and she's told me some interesting stuff and I was just like you know what I'm turning twenty eight in two weeks I've drunk alcohol obviously from eighteen to twenty eight it's ten years of drinking multiple times a week probably maybe I can take a year or like why shouldn't I be able to take a year and it's kind of exactly the same as a marathon and stuff I was just like I'm doing it I literally said to her on the podcast I was like I'm gonna take a year off and I just stopped drinking that's about it and same thing though with the one percent club I built this accountability group thing which is 28 and sober which is my Monday podcast where I've just been sharing my journey and trying to inspire people not even inspire people just for one it keeps me accountable because I've announced it but for two I've, I've had countless people like you Blake have come on the journey with me for like dry July and just like I'm inspiring people to realize that there's other ways and yeah culturally it's so like forced on it not forced on us but yeah like there is you, a pressure yeah, yeah there's a pressure for sure especially as a young male in Australia to drink alcohol like in every social scenario and I just wanted to like yeah be a bit different mm. <laughs> it is weird even with these cans and stuff like we've spoken about just having something in your hand mm. is and like i'm pretty comfortable especially doing something like dry july or whatever you're like oh i'm not drinking for the month but it's yeah it is nice to have something to hold while you're at a social event that sort of thing but it's like you see it around like as you said before it's such a popular drug that you look down mm. on for not actually doing when you're mm. out yeah um but like what's been the biggest probably hurdle to get over since you started um I don't know. To be honest, it hasn't been that bad. I kind of, mm. cause I said I did it. I'm just like, meh. I'm like, yeah. I haven't really got an option. So I haven't even like thought too much about it. I mean, the hardest thing is like, I'm a part owner of an alcohol company. <laughs> <laughs> um, Gravity Seltzer. So we've got like a new, I've got, it's going to be a funny topic to talk about on the podcast. I've got a new flavor coming out um, in the next week or two. I'm like, Am I allowed to have a sip of my new flavor to taste it, or do I have to take a sip and Smells spit good. it out? Like, do I swirl it around and spit it out? Yeah. So um, that's probably going to be the hardest thing. That and I mean, and to be honest, it, I just feel a bit guilty that I'm a part owner of an alcohol brand, and like, we'll still promote. Like, I'm not against drinking, like, not at all. Like, I think there's a great place for it for celebrations and for um, yeah, a great way to connect and bring people together. But I just think it's far overconsumed now that I'm not drinking for a little while. Just watching how people act in different scenarios and seeing myself in them and being mm. like, far out, that's me multiple times a week. Like, come on, mate. Like, I don't need to be like that. Or there's a place for it, for sure. I'll let my hair down every now and then, but it just doesn't need to be as frequent as it is. And I've got a business called The Good Human Factory. So I'm mm. trying to like mm. make myself into, not that drinking alcohol makes you a bad human at all. Mm. I'll never say that, but I think it's just important to be true to yourself and like kind of look at yourself in the mirror and like i just have been doing that a bit lately and realized i don't need to consume alcohol all the time and yeah it's been a cool challenge i'm finding that balance as well like i love catching up with all the boys and that sort of thing but i prefer to feel fresh on a sunday than i do to go out catching up with your mates for a coffee on a sunday morning and like down at the coffee shop and going for a walk Mm. and then like doing whatever else all day like instead of like just going out because you got nothing to do on a Saturday night. Like I went to the movies and just watched Thor by myself. The other <laughs> yeah. Saturday do you like night. it? Recommend yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. I thought maybe Marvel fan. Yeah. Oh, I love Marvel it. Fan. I, I thought, I don't know. I want to watch the second time. I feel like sometimes there's so much to take. Start of it was a felt, I feel like a bit cheesy. Like they were kind of, I feel like Ragnarok was good, but they tried to like 
they're trying to make like Thorin too much of like a funny character. I yeah. feel like I feel like yeah, but I I thought it was good. I Especially going it. from what he was like in Infinity War and stuff when he yeah. was like had the full buzz yeah. cut thing going. I on. I think it. it was cool though, but I liked it. I've like the whole love and thunder stuff. I kind of like I don't know. I've got like a girl that I'm sort of half with not really with but she's over, she's over in Europe at the moment yeah and I'm gonna go up and catch go over and catch up with her and then hopefully bring her back over to Australia do you meet her actually at the coffee shop maybe not nah I don't think uh, oh nah I don't think nah. so no you met did you meet Maddie I met Maddie, met Maddie wasn't it Maddie and his Maddie missus his, yeah, 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 yeah 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 nah I had this um, I met when I was in Europe last year for um for my surf comps this beautiful like 35 year old Brazilian chick yeah sick um and we just got along amazingly and then she came to France and stayed with me for the next comp and then I was like I probably won't see her again and then I was like if you ever want to come to Australia come and she came out for like all of April and May yeah. and then she had to go back over and she wants to set her life up in Portugal but I'm convincing her I think she's pretty keen so I'm going to go catch up with her in September over in Europe and see my sister and yes, fish nice. her in Ibiza and then do a meditation retreat with Chris and Rochelle actually in Cyprus yeah um and she's gonna come to both of them and then come back but so to relate this back to Thor, <laughs> the whole like love and thunder thing i was just like it felt good like kind of watching it i was just like thinking about catching back up with her and i was like oh, yeah fair enough. that's nice yeah. cute <laughs> soft, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um so we've done one percent good uh 28 and so but you've obviously got good humans podcast which is sick you've had mm. some ripper guests like yeah it's been I, I wanted to see because obviously being quite well established now with it do you have any like goal guests that you'd like to interview or chat to yeah absolutely uh, who who are a couple of those like i've been i mean this is a bit of a flex but i've been like messaging slate like kelly slater like back and forth for like since the start yeah and like it was like over Instagram for a while and then he's like, yeah, man, I'm keen to come on. And then we've been on like text message for the last ages and he's like, oh, I'm on the Goldie, let's do it now. And I was like, sweet, give me a time, I'll be there. And I was in Sydney and I didn't tell him and he just never wrote back to me. I'm like, all right, so I will get Slater one day, <laughs> yeah. which would be epic. Then like Fanning, Mick Fanning's like a good friend of mine, but just finding the right time. Yeah. I will get Fisher eventually. Like Fisher's my brother-in-law, but he's yeah. like anti-podcast. But <laughs> I'll get him eventually. Um Oh, that's man. sick though kelly's like the goat of, of like well, I, was, the I, was goat ch- of I was chatting to someone the other day i was like who has actually dominated their sport mm-hmm. the way that tom guy brady, has kelly slater yeah but how how old's tom brady because kelly's like kelly's 50 yeah kelly and turned 50 at the start of his year and then one pot that's wild eh? <laughs> crazy crazy yeah for to dominate for that long Crazy. And and isn't he like a jet at um golf as yeah, well? And he, I think like pretty sure he's like almost on his purple belt with jujitsu and oh, stuff. He's a, he's a freak. So yeah, <laughs> it'd be sick to have him on. Yeah, like, that's um that'd be a really special one. And then yeah, just continue to like I'm really excited. Like I've got like Hugh Van Kylenberg, the Resilience Project um guy coming on next in the next couple of weeks. So like I've got a few really exciting ones coming up. But I just want to keep having cool conversations with people. I'd love mm. to like get to chat to like some of those like big inspirational guys like jay shetty and like johan hari mm-hmm. would be epic um yeah just people who interest me like whose books i read and just am fascinated by the way they think because that's who inspires me the most listening to people like that's podcast and getting to like pick their brain and learn from them and yeah hopefully pass that knowledge on to other people because was, was that how it sort of kicked off you to just meet and learn from some cool people and that or absolutely i just knew like I understood how lucky I was with the network I had from yeah. professional surfers. Like if you look back through my podcast, a, a great majority of them are top level professional yeah. surfers, like young guys. Cause that's who I feel like I can 
communicate their story quite well because I know them well enough that I can guide the conversation really well. Mm. Um, but then just like young athletes and most of the people I've just weirdly had connections with. Like I had like a guy from the All Blacks on who I just met once. I was like with the Kiwi Surfers ones. And then I had like Reese Hodge from the Wallabies on because I used to verse him when I was a kid in football. Um, a bunch of like the extreme sport athletes from like Harley Clifford, Corey Tunis and like world champion wakeboarders who've been like my best friend. So mm. like Ryan Williams, like the best extreme sport athlete in the world. is like a great friend of mine and an ambassador for the Good Human Factory. And then just interesting people. Like my most listened to podcast was my episode with Nicole, the neuroscientist. Because, oh, true. Yeah, just because they're like the podcast I listen to Joe Rogan a lot are all the scientists where you mm. just learn stuff. So like I had like a pharmacologist, this doctor from America on a bunch of meditation teachers and just like learning it's basically like getting to like read a book but get to ask questions to find the best parts of the book yeah (laughs) do you do you go back and listen to them yeah i listen well because i edit and do all the stuff myself so i already listen to it and then i do all the assets but then I'll usually the day, the morning they come out, try and listen to them just in case i fuck something up (laughs) (laughs) just because like most of the time like when i'm doing three a week like i'll listen to them like the first few hours they come out just in case I've like stuffed something up and I need to take it down. Yeah, yeah. But I, I'm touch wood, I haven't had, like, in case I like don't blank out like a bit of the audio, like, you know what I mean? Like I cut something and I forget to close the gap and it's just a dead spot. <laughs> but I haven't had a stuff up like that yet, luckily. So. Yeah. Any, uh, I think a recommendation of mine to anyone listening would be um, Josh. Meniz. Josh Meniz, oh, dude, wow. his story is hectic. Like, yeah, yeah, because it, it, from Hawaii, break his neck. Yeah, yeah, and like just to see how happy and grateful he was mm. after like just getting through, like, the, I guess the recovery process and that sort yeah. of thing. But because yeah, he was t- his turnaround was like a, a year and yeah, he's back. Yeah, he got like lucky, but his story of like and he he tells the story for about thirty minutes of like the the moment that it happened, which is so like he story tells it really well, huh? Where mm. he, just talks about how he felt underwater and then like this wave went over me and then it felt like this. like he just really tells it in such depth that it feels like you're there with him which is so mm-hmm. powerful like mm-hmm. and you, you can hear him saying like I, I felt like it was over like i was saying in my head that my you know, i love my family and like and then bang someone say like crazy story and then like another good one's like ben tudhoe but just got australian yeah the snowboard um, paralympian of the year he's an ambassador for the good human factory too which is really special um and his story is just really cool, like getting to hear how he's like developed as a young, incredible man as a Paralympian. Um, Harry Garside was cool to chat to a couple of weeks ago, the yep. boxer. Um, who else have I had on that's been interesting? You said you were saying your Lane Beachley one you had to record again, was that? Yeah, I, like, <laughs> actually, Tom Carroll was incredible. Tom Carroll's story is yeah. just phenomenal. He like really opened up about addiction and meeting. Um, Nelson Mandela and boy, oh, true. you got to yeah. listen to that one. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. He boycotted going to, um, well, to he was two time world champ and he was meant to go to South Africa for the third event of the year and he was leading the world title race and he boycotted it because of the apartheid. Really, what was going on? And then when Mandela got out of um, prison and was doing like a world tour for freedom or whatever, um, back then surfers somehow he was really good friends with Bob Hawke, Tom Carroll, so he got invited to a dinner with Nelson Mandela and he literally reckoned he tells a story crazy in the podcast. You gotta go listen. Yeah. And he reckons he like sat at a dinner table with Nelson Mandela and he like shook his hand and said, like, thank you, Tom, like it's people like you who like helped me get through this. Like yeah. crazy man. Yeah. And then he talks about like being addicted to ice and all this shit. Like 
really cool story and then he talks about going to rehab and how he overcame it with meditation like, yeah so that was a phenomenal one but yeah so i did one with lane beachley and the audio fucked out <laughs> had to re-record with a seven time world chance <laughs> that's a hard phone call to make um and then same reese hodge who plays for the wallabies his audio screwed out but hey we overcome challenges that's what life's about because yeah. how have you found like doing some do you do it over zoom for those ones that are distant or like do you yeah. do it over like riverside or something or i just do them over zoom i need to get better with my software but always in person is like highly recommended i do my best to do it in person you can make a far better connection with someone but have done a lot over zoom um i've had a couple stitch up audios actually my <laughs> sponsor recently who sponsored my pod a rapper which is like a brain function drink i had their owner on mm-hmm. just to like kick off our partnership and his mic and audio was crap he was in new zealand and then i like in hindsight i probably shouldn't have posted it but i just felt obliged i needed to get it up and then i had like bad reviews from them and internal and external from their side and i was like oh my god my first like proper sponsor but they're stoked i've been like pumping them really hard and mm. love their product and mm. i really recommend it to everyone anyway so it's like something this I is really a rapper like, so, yeah. what, what is it like a neuro it's like a neuroscience backed drink they spent like four and a half million dollars on clinical studies and worked with um dr andrew scully who's one of the best leading world leading neuroscience in like what food does for our brain mm. so they developed this drink that has um a new zealand black currant neuroberry in it which has got all these properties it's really good for your brain and then a pine bark extract and l-theanine so it's all natural um super good for you and then they've spent like millions of dollars on clinical studies to prove that it's got short-term performance gains like it does better for you than a coffee or a red bull or anything mm. without the crash and then um but it also like improves brain cognition for longevity with like the L-theanine and blah. I, I mean, that's just kind of the gist of it. But yeah. yeah, it's cool to just be working with people that actually align with what I'm all about, which is because you you've been having a few like or like one during a podcast mm. and stuff. So how have you found that it has helped you? Yeah, it's good. It's yeah, just, it's just a real good thing about like having a Red Bull without the sugar and without the like up and down. It's just like having this really level like calm energy. It's nice yeah yeah i'll have to give you some i got a couple cases at home yeah sick um obviously conscious of your time we're just a bit over an hour now as <laughs> yeah, well right. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, as long as you guys want um, to go, i'm happy to go we had another I'm couple of questions so like how do you think the pursuit of like tough challenges in sport has benefited you in your day-to-day life um i think it's just made me realize what's possible like we limit ourselves so much i think in our mind and like we think we can't achieve things in our minds so much so i think doing the physical challenges makes me realize that we can but yeah in just day-to-day life it's just good stories to tell to yeah. <laughs> it's like whatever i do it for me i don't really do it to um i just do it to see what's possible to like you know what i mean you like in your head you go there's no way i could run a marathon tomorrow and it's like well how do I know unless I try? And mm. that's like same thing. Like there's no way I can build a million dollar business in a mental health industry. How are you going to know unless you try? So it's yeah. like, you kind of just like conditioning yourself to be able to overcome challenges really. Mm. So do you have a long-term vision for good human factory and that sort of thing? Like, yeah, kind of, I want to like just build my presenting skills and sort of get my keynote up to a point where I can charge like five to 10 grand for my keynote and go speak at big corporate events um, and then also the school talks is kind of where I really want to always keep as the baseline, just trying yep. to like work out ways to communicate and engage with kids in a way that 
inspires them to make positive changes and not come and talk about depression, anxiety, but talk about these positive things like gratitude and mindfulness and hopefully encourage them to develop skills from a young group of pro athletes like myself and my ambassadors. It allows just kids to relate a bit more and that's, yeah, just, I've got my fingers in enough pies that hopefully the diversity is a way that I can continue to grow it, but from like the podcast, hopefully keep growing that because it's just a great way to scale and get reach to a far bigger audience than in person. The workshops is like a great way to make money and a great way to like engage and work with people. And then my merch is like another big one to try and um, yeah, just spread awareness in a way that's through clothing, but mm. not just like, oh, buy my stuff. It's wear something that somebody's going to tap you on the shoulder and get a message out of that's going to help them from like my Be Kind to Your Mind shirts to my gratitude shirts, to just different ways. I think gone are the days where you go and buy a $500 Balenciaga shirt to post it on Instagram to make other people feel jealous and mm-hmm. wish they were like you. It's like, well, why wouldn't you post something or wear something that anyone who sees it feels good about? Mm-hmm. So you should feel good if you make them feel good rather than if you're making someone else feel shit and jealous, it should make you feel, it'll make you feel subconsciously average as well. So yeah, it's trying to like build fun creative ways and i think there's so many ways to make money without ripping anyone off and without yeah doing anything dodgy so it's trying to like yeah just build a brand and build a business around being a good person and finding creative ways to make money without yeah having to shortcut anywhere Mm. i love how you refer to it as like your feel-good workshops as well because you're not actually yeah you're not just purely going into talk stats about depression and anxiety and all that sort of stuff mm. it's that like creates like the fear yeah like, as you yeah, said 100%. before it creates like yeah just the fear rather than trying to help somebody yeah it's mm. like you're walking in and you're like these are some tools to deal with this that could be an issue sort of thing it's yeah it's, well, yeah, yeah my mindset's like if you develop strong i don't talk about anxiety depression or suicide at all in my workshops because it's like one i'm not qualified i'm not a psychologist but for two like one in five Australians are going to be diagnosed with a mental illness. So there's 20% of people. But my goal is to like inspire the four in five to build the skills so that number of four in five goes to nine in ten don't have a mental illness. Like, And the thing is, like the one in five who do struggle are still going to get something out of what I talk about as well. Mm-hmm. Whereas you go and talk about anxiety and depression and spotting the signs and here's how you find help, which is, in, don't get me wrong, it's, it's important, but that's what almost every organisation does. So I feel like I've just got like my own little niche where it's like, oh, I actually give some practical ways to, yeah, build on skills in your life that are takeaways that aren't very hard. Like, like I said, 1% of your day, like try and just bring mindfulness into your day. Try and bring, like I say to people, when you brush your teeth, just think about what you're grateful for. Just thinking something different. is like, there's little things we can do, but you don't get taught that at school. So I'm mm. just trying to do that, teach as many students. And then my corporate groups are the funniest. I always thought, oh, it's more of like a thing to teach students. But then the teachers were all like, oh, I needed that too. And that's where I was like, I was going to make a corporate workshop different, but I do the same one for the students and the corporates now. Mm. Mm. It's cool that you can just kind of scale it to both of those areas yeah. and stuff. The, um, oh, what was it? Byron Dempsey, you're on. Yeah. His, he really is down. a really interesting dude. And like, yeah, I think I is. saw it through when you'd gone on, but hearing him talk about just how the whole system, system of schooling and stuff, like it, it's, it almost seems like it should be a you got your your basic math English and then there should be a subject where you're learning things like your course like oh but it's a school uh, the more I think about it the more I feel like school is like a disservice to us almost like you don't get taught for one how to do anything with like money mm. so one thing that we all like end up stuck with like 
I've still got no idea how to like do taxes and stuff properly and I feel like I'm a pretty switched on person. We didn't get taught how to invest, we didn't get taught how to like buy a house. These are all things that happen to almost every single one of us where 90% of us don't use the math that we get taught, 90% of us don't use the science we get taught, mm. whereas 100% of us use like need to learn how to use money better, need to learn how to like build a business. And they, like We're literally being built to go and work to just chase our tail our whole life. It's like, mm-hmm. that's why I'm so open-minded to trying to build something for myself and create freedom in a way that I can still help people. And yeah, the more my business grows, just the more people I can help, which is epic. Mm. We've um, got two questions that we usually ask our guests as well. Uh, one of them being, do you recall a favorite failure that's benefited you in the long run? Favorite failure? Um, I don't know. I can't think of anything off the top of my head. I've seen a lot of them. I, mean, look at the, I used to like look at failures so different, whereas now I just see like everything is learning. I'm like, if I fail and I gave myself gave a hundred percent at something, I don't see it as a failure. I mm. see if I don't give something a hundred percent a failure. Like if I come up short and I try my best, I'll learn something about myself on how I can improve. But if I like, I see it, failure is when you don't give a hundred percent to something. So. Mm doesn't really answer the question but i can't really think of a direct right. failure should have read the questions before. <laughs> <laughs> That's all good. the second one's um if you had a billboard that everyone could see what would it say and looking at the back of your phone of it yeah <laughs> i was gonna say probably be kind to your mind or what are you grateful for yeah yeah they'd probably be simple yeah, yeah. Simple. <laughs> this one last one that i thought nick what's it mean being yeah. a good human one of my favorite answers I've ever heard of this was not actually on my podcast. It was Alex Hayes' brother, and I think it really sums it up well. And it's, I can't, I'm trying to remember how he worded it, but it was something to do with like being kind to those, like helping those who ne- like need help in a way of like from the environment to animals to people who are less fortunate than you, trying to be there for them, people that don't have the opportunity for you. So that's kind of an angle, but. For me, being a good human is just continually growing, continually learning and using what you learn and sharing it with people and sharing the good things that you learn with the people around you to hopefully benefit their life too. Mm, I love it. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, Well, I really appreciate your time. It's been sick to just be catching up lately and just having dinner yeah, and hanging out yeah yeah no i really appreciate the time all you're doing as well so it's at cooper chapman at cooper chapman at the good human factory good humans pod good humans with cooper chapman podcast and yeah the good human factory.com if you want to use the merch um if you do want to get some merch use the code i'll tell them they can use a good club code anyway yeah. it is use good club and you get 30 percent off I actually bumped it up from 25% to 30% last week because I felt like being kind to everyone. So Inside nice. scoop. <laughs> yeah, so if you're listening and you do want to support the... And any every bit of merch sold on the website, I run a free workshop for a student too. So it's kind of a mm. way to let the community and let the people who support the good human factory support students workshops as well so, yeah uh, it's cool it's cool buying something and knowing that it's going to a cause other than just like and they're comfy ads as well like yeah, the clothes are cool yeah that the one i got was like um the thicker one the yeah it's like the heavy yeah the yeah but it's good it was like i was wearing it um out to brekkie the other morning and it was just like yeah. i didn't need a jumper or anything but it, it wasn't too hot either it's it was, like a good shirt to like wear out at night i'll see him as like you know, if you like wear a shirt out at night, you're gonna wear just like you kind of thin things your shirt. It's like mm. you want something that's a bit heavier. So I did that, but yeah, the merch is um, merch is fun. 
Just nice. can't wear it when you're eating tacos. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. That was after that. Cooper was getting a bit worried there. Yeah. <laughs> nah, sick. Appreciate yeah, it. Appreciate it. Thank you. Guys.